This is Spacetime Series 24, Episode 81, for broadcast on the 16th of July, 2021. Coming up on Spacetime, the mystery of the Martian South Pole, the Mars Ingenuity helicopter undertakes its most challenging flight yet, and China launches another five spy satellites as it continues its build-up towards war. All that and more coming up on Spacetime. Welcome to Spacetime with Stuart Gary. Scientists taking another look at data from the European Space Agency's Mars Express Orbiter have had a rethink about what they're seeing under the Martian South Pole. What was originally thought to be lakes of liquid subsurface water are now thought to be bright reflections caused by subsurface clays, metal-bearing minerals or saline ice. The findings reported by the journal Geophysical Research Letters are based on a reinterpretation of radar reflection data taken by the Mars Express MASAS instrument in 2018. Scientists have since found dozens of similar radar reflections around the South Pole, many in areas which would simply be too cold for water to remain liquid. Mars Express is the second longest surviving continually active spacecraft in orbit around the Red Planet, outpaced only by NASA's 2001 Mars Odyssey. As the spacecraft orbits Mars, it continues to provide important data on the Red Planet's subsurface, surface and atmosphere, building up a three-dimensional view of the planet, including its south polar region. Usually, radar waves lose energy when they travel through a material, so reflections from deeper down should be less bright than those from the surface. Although there are a few possible reasons for unusually bright subsurface reflections, liquid water, which appears bright to radar, was always thought to be the cause of these bright reflections. The radar signals originally interpreted as liquid water were found in a region of Mars known as the South Pole Layer Deposit named for the alternating layers of water ice, frozen carbon dioxide and dust that have settled there over millions of years. These layers are believed to hold a record of how the tilt of Mars's axis has shifted over time, just as changes in Earth's tilt have caused ice ages and warmer periods throughout our planet's history. When Mars had a lower axial tilt, snowfall and layers of dust accumulated in the region and eventually formed a thick layered ice sheet found there today. The areas originally hypothesized to contain liquid water span about 10 to 20 kilometers in a relatively small region of the Martian South Pole layered deposits. Scientists expanded the search for similar strong radio signals to 44,000 measurements spanned across 15 years of Mars's data over the entirety of the Martian South Pole region. And the new expanded study revealed dozens of additional bright radar reflections over a far greater range of area and depth than before. In some places, they were less than a kilometer from the surface, where temperatures are estimated to be around minus 63 degrees Celsius. So cold that water would have to be frozen, even if it contained salty minerals known as perchlorates, which can lower the freezing point of water. One possibility is widespread geothermal activity from recent volcanism under the surface. However, scientists haven't really seen any strong evidence for recent volcanism at the South Pole. So, it seems unlikely that volcanic activity would allow subsurface liquid water to persist throughout this region. 
The study's authors are now looking at a second deeper layer under parts of the Martian South Pole, which scientists think represents an older buried terrain called the Dorsa Argentine Formation. It's thought to have been modified by ancient glaciers once present across the region, and they intend on trying to more accurately determine its composition and age. This is Space Time. Still to come, NASA's Mars Ingenuity helicopter completes its most challenging flight yet on the Red Planet, and China has launched another five spy satellites as it continues its build-up towards war. All that and more still to come on Space Time. NASA's Mars Ingenuity helicopter has completed its ninth and most challenging flight yet on the Red Planet. The 166.4 second journey was also the tissue box-sized rotocopter's longest flight to date. The aircraft reached a speed of 5 metres per second as it flew 625 metres over uncharted terrain, landing further away from the Perseverance rover than on any previous flight. Perseverance is currently travelling along the eastern edge of Mars's Ceta region, which is characterised by sandy ripples. Mission managers at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena, California, opted to make the most of Ingenuity's aerial capabilities and do something that only an aircraft on Mars could do – take a shortcut straight across a portion of the Ceta region and land on a plane to the south. But the 80kg helicopter faced a terrain full of high slopes and undulations something the artificial intelligence-controlled chopper has not previously encountered. While Ingenuity could fly sufficiently high enough above the terrain to minimise altitude clearance issues, mission managers were concerned that it could experience a large lateral area at the destination landing site, ending up touching down in difficult terrain. However, in the end, Ingenuity handled the flight well, finding a good landing spot and once again demonstrating the advantage of an aerial component to future planetary missions. This is Space Time. Still to come, we explore NASA's Exoplanet Watch Program and China launches five more spy satellites as it continues its build-up towards war. All that and more still to come on Space Time. Well, if you have access to a small backyard telescope and you want to help NASA, they have a citizen science project for you. It's called Exoplanet Watch, and it's designed for amateur astronomers and astronomy students to help observe transiting exoplanets using small telescopes. A transiting exoplanet is the planet outside our solar system that periodically passes in front of its host star as seen from Earth, causing the star to appear to dim slightly, typically by just a percent or so. Observing exoplanet transits is important as they provide direct measurements of a planet's radius and composition. Ground-based observations, even those with small telescopes, can help constrain an exoplanet's orbital period. That is how quickly a planet orbits around its host star, and this in turn provides better mass measurements. Exoplanet Watch will help increase the efficiency of exoplanet studies by large telescopes to characterise exoplanetary atmospheres by reducing uncertainty about the predicted timing of transit events. It will also help discover new exoplanets, 
using transit timing variations to infer the existence of existing exoplanets in a star system. A guide to Exoplanet Watch is one of the features in this month's edition of Australian Sky and Telescope magazine. And joining us now with the details is the magazine's editor, Jonathan Nally. NASA wants you as a citizen scientist. That's exactly right. So citizen science is a big thing these days with the internet and everything. It's it's very easy to get involved in all sorts of projects and programs that uh, professional scientists need help with, ordinary people contributing to real science, which is great. Now, astronomy has always actually been into this, probably more so than any other science, perhaps, perhaps apart from botany. Well, they're always gentlemen astronomers, weren't they? Well, this is the thing. Most, Many of the most famous astronomers, in fact, throughout history were simply passionate amateurs, amateurs in the sense that they weren't getting paid to do it. Um, they had other sources of income and uh, they could afford to build themselves observatories and nice big telescopes and things and they really wanted to do astronomy so that's that's what a lot of us early astronomers were getting paid to do astronomy actually is a fairly recent invention probably I don't know 150 200 years ago or so uh, really started to take off uh, and certainly throughout the 20th century but if you want to get involved and you've got a small telescope and you've got a camera that works with it well you can get involved in a NASA project called NASA's Exoplanet Watch this might be the right program for you this program is actually uh, studying planets circling other stars. Now, this would have been unheard of. It's just unimaginable to amateur astronomers to get involved in something like this 20 years ago. But the, the sort of gear you get now, fairly inexpensive camera gear and stuff, it's just tremendous. You can get involved in this. So the idea is that you use your telescope and your camera to measure the brightness of the light coming from certain stars. And when the light dips, even by only 1% or 2%, that's when you can tell that one of the star's planets has briefly moved in front of it and caused like a little mini eclipse and made the light drop a little bit. This is called the and transit method. The transit method, exactly. And you can do this with your backyard telescope, can you believe it? So uh, NASA wants lots and lots of people to get involved in this because the more data they get, the better. They can improve their measurements and things. So any data you take is sent to NASA and is joined up and combined and analysed with data from people all over the world and then made available for professional astronomers to, to use in their research. Professionals really rely upon dedicated amateurs for quite a lot of different kinds of things in astronomy because, let's face it, there are lots and lots of backyard telescopes setups out there, uh, lots and lots of amateur astronomers who are quite capable of doing this work, but there are only certain number of professional observatories and it's very competitive to get time for your project on a professional in a professional observatory you know usually they're oversubscribed by three to one or something mm. uh, and if the professional observatory is there and, and, the, and the astronomer's got time on it and they go up to do their observing if it's cloudy that night well they're out of luck aren't they but if you've got a hundred amateur astronomers around the world or monitoring a particular star well you know a lot of them are going to have clear skies of course so you're going to get some data at least so yeah if you really want to get involved look, look up um, uh, NASA's exoplanet watch and we've got more details and more information about it also in the July issue of Australian Sky and Telescope. That's Jonathan Alley, the editor of Australian Sky and Telescope magazine. And don't forget, if you're having trouble getting your copy of Australian Sky and Telescope magazine from your usual retailer because of the current lockdown and travel restrictions, you can always get a print or digital subscription and have the magazine delivered directly to your letterbox or inbox. Subscribing's easy. Just go to skyandtelescope.com.au. That's skyandtelescope.com.au and you'll never be left in the dark again. This is Space Time. Still to come, China launches five new satellites. And later in the science report, a new study confirms that two in every three Australians are now either overweight or obese. All that and more still to come on Space Time.
China has launched another five spy satellites as it continues its build-up to war. The latest group of Earth observation spacecraft were launched aboard a Long March 2D rocket from the Taiyuan Satellite Launch Center in northern China's Jiangxi province. The latest launch comes as China continues flying its warplanes over Taiwanese airspace, part of a deliberate provocation designed to trigger the identity and location of Taiwan's anti-aircraft defense radar systems. The payload for this latest Long March rocket launch included the QFAN-01B Wideband High-Resolution Earth Imaging Satellite, three GOFANG-03D High-Resolution Narrowfield Earth Observation Satellites, and the Xingjidai-10 or New Era-10 Earth Imaging Satellite, which is testing new miniaturized Earth observation equipment. Since 2016, Beijing has launched more than 135 Earth observation satellites designed to provide near-continuous high-resolution monitoring of areas of interest to China. It's also launched more than 34 Signet or Electronic Signals and Intelligence Gathering satellites. They're designed to eavesdrop on other countries' confidential communication systems. This is Space Time. And time now to take another brief look at some of the other stories making news in science this week with the Science Report. New modelling reported in the journal PLOS Pathogens has confirmed earlier studies that the first cases of COVID-19 most likely emerged in China on November the 17th, 2019. The findings, which mirror what we first reported in April 2020, is based on modelling previously used to map species heading towards extinction in order to estimate the earliest cases of COVID-19 in China and some of the first countries the virus was spread to. The modelling shows that the virus likely emerged in China in early October to mid-November 2019, with November 17 being the most likely date. It then spread to Japan on January the 3rd, 2020, before reaching Europe and North America in mid-January, with the first Australian case reported on January the 25th, 2020. The World Health Organization estimates more than 8 million people have been killed by the COVID-19 coronavirus, with over 4.1 million confirmed fatalities and more than 186 million people infected since the deadly disease first spread out of Wuhan, China. Scientists have discovered that an Antarctic lake has suddenly disappeared. A report in the Journal of the Geophysical Research Letters found that an estimated 600 to 750 million cubic metres of water has been lost to the ocean following the sudden demise of the lake. Radar images show the entire body of water drained in less than a week back in 2019, leaving just a fractured surface ice behind. Scientists believe the mass of water accumulated in the deep lake cracked open the ice shelf beneath, causing the water to drain away into the ocean below. A new study has found that around two in every three Australians are now overweight or obese. The findings reported by the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare also found that people with lower levels of education, living in inner regional areas, paying off a mortgage or renting, are more likely to be overweight or obese. The report brings together data from the Australian Bureau of Statistics National Health Surveys held between 2007-2008 and 2017-2018 in order to look at the associations between being overweight and obese and other social determinants of health. 
the circumstances in which people grow, live, work and age. A new study claims that daydreaming could simply be a sign that your brain's falling asleep. The findings reported in the journal Nature Communications are based on monitoring brain activity in 26 people as they performed a series of predetermined tasks. Researchers found slow brain waves were occurring in different parts of the brain before the subjects lost focus on the task they were meant to be performing. Slow brain waves are a type of brain activity which typically occurs as you begin to fall asleep. The researchers say that when slow brain waves appeared in the front of the brain, the participants were about to begin daydreaming or respond impulsively. And when the same slow waves occurred further back in the brain, their minds were about to go blank. An anti-vaccine conspiracy about the vaccinated is leading some anti-maskers and anti-vaxxers to contemplate wearing a mask and social distancing in order to protect themselves from the vaccinated. Confused? Well, they certainly must be. Tim Mendham from Australian Skeptic says it now seems they don't want to get infected from a virus which they've insisted doesn't exist. A lot of anti-maskers, they're anti-vaccination people, COVID deniers saying masks don't do you any good. Forget all this, this sort of scientific advice to wear masks, social distance, etc. And suddenly with the increase of vaccination, there's a new conspiracy that's saying that the vaccination people will shed certain proteins onto the unvaccinated who will then suffer adverse effects. Well, there's that hairdresser in Queensland that's uh, just banned vaccinated people from her store. That's right, yeah, because they supposedly are shedding the virus because, you know, it's not going to hurt them anymore, so they're just going to give it out. But now the anti-maskers are wearing masks. And you think, why are you wearing the masks? Is this to protect you from the viruses that the vaccinated people are shedding? And yet earlier you were saying there was no need to wear masks because the virus is not real. And you think, hmm, (laughs) slight logic problem here, which is not perhaps surprising. But uh, yeah, there's an issue that that one, no, they are not shedding viruses and certainly not live viruses to you. But honestly, the hypocrisy of people who were one day abusing people who are wearing masks by saying you're a coward or you're undemocratic or unpatriotic or you're you're my right as a free citizen and now they're wearing masks because they're frightened of the vaccine because they're frightened of the virus that they said wasn't there in the first place. Logic, out the window. All those same people are also concerned about 5G spreading the virus that's not there. That's right, yeah, well that's... (laughs) That's a different story. And in in a year or two, they'll be using phones that do 5G. That's that's, That's the thing about their consistency. That's Tim Mendham from Australian Skeptics. And that's the show for now. Spacetime is available every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday through Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcast, Pocket Casts, Spotify, Acast, Amazon Music, Bytes.com, SoundCloud, YouTube, your favorite podcast download provider, and from SpacetimeWithStuartGary.com. Spacetime's also broadcast through the National Science Foundation on Science Zone Radio and on both iHeartRadio and TuneIn Radio. And you can help to support our show by visiting the Spacetime store for a range of promotional merchandising goodies. Or by becoming a Spacetime patron, which gives you access to triple episode commercial free versions of the show, as well as lots of bonus audio content which doesn't go to air, access to our exclusive Facebook group and other rewards. Just go to spacetimewithstuartgary.com for full details. 
And if you want more space time, please check out our blog, where you'll find all the stuff we couldn't fit in the show, as well as heaps of images, news stories, loads of videos, and things on the web I find interesting or amusing. Just go to spacetimewithstuartgary.tumblr.com. That's all one word, and that's Tumblr without the E. You can also follow us through at Stuart Gary on Twitter, at Spacetime with Stuart Gary on Instagram, through our Spacetime YouTube channel, and on Facebook, just go to facebook.com forward slash Spacetime with Stuart Gary. And Spacetime is brought to you in collaboration with Australian Sky and Telescope magazine, your window on the universe. You've been listening to Spacetime with Stuart Gary. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com. 